morning, everybody. Well, that was precious, wasn't it? And it's not over yet. Um, we are in a series looking at the big picture of the Bible, recognizing that actually, although there's many books, there you go, there is a big picture that's found throughout the scriptures. And uh, who was around last week? Uh, okay, well, those of you who were around last week would have heard, thank you very much, would have heard Dave Perry speaking about that whole big picture uh, from the beginning to the end of the scriptures. What we're doing now, having looked at the overview and got the plot line in one go, over the next eight Sundays, we're going to take the different chapters of the Bible story and look at them each in turn and see what we've got to learn from them. Uh, last week, Dave gave us three headlines of themes that run right through the scripture. Can anyone remember what they are? He, he's not here, I don't think. So, Oh, he is. Where's Dave gone? Oh, no, this is even worse. You've now got to remember. <laughs> How memorable were Dave's three points? Don't feel bad. But I'm sure everyone remembers, don't they? God's people. That's a clue, because they all begin with the letter P. Okay, God's people. Good preaching. God's... God's place and God's purpose. Brilliant. Excellent job, Dave. So those are three themes that run right through the scriptures. And what we're going to do today is we're going to start with the beginning, with creation. And uh, it, we have been helped in putting this series together by a book written by our friend Vaughan Roberts, who's the rector at St. Epps. He's written a book entitled God's Big Picture, and has these eight different chapters. Uh, and the first of them is the pattern of the kingdom. We're looking at the story of creation from Genesis 1 and 2. If you'd like to engage with this series and the big picture of the scriptures more over the next couple of months, we have got emails and texts prepared to go out as a daily stimulus to engage with the scriptures and to pray. So if you'd like that as well as part of um, the next couple of months, there are some sign-up sheets on the desks in the foyer, which will be there all through the lunch that we're sharing together later on. So you can sign up uh, and get hold of those. Okay. When we were praying at the start of the meeting this morning, Lois had a picture that I believe God did indeed put in her mind of the world spinning, as it does, <laughs> with great energy and momentum. And then God's finger coming and stopping it. And there being a moment of, of stillness in which God really changed us. I think we've begun to experience that this morning, but I'd like to pray as we look at the scriptures that he'd continue to do more of that. Is that would you like that? I, I would. So give a good amen so that I know we're all in it together. When, I, when I've prayed, not, no, I'm going to pray. What kind of Christians are you? We say amen when we've finished praying. When I've said, anyway. If you're, okay. Father God, thank you that you are here with us by your spirit. Lord, we love your presence. And we thank you even more amazingly, you love ours too. I thank you for this place of encounter, this time and space when we can meet with you. And you run to us with your arms open wide to embrace us as we stumble towards you. Lord, thank you. Lord, we pray for more. We pray that you would indeed still our anxious thoughts, that we might hear clearly from you and see you clearly 
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Great. Well, there are two accounts of creation. Not neatly Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, but Genesis 1 spills a bit. The first account spills a bit into Genesis 2. And then there's the second account takes up the rest of Genesis chapter 2. We are now going to have both of those chapter, both of those accounts read to us all together. So M, would you like to come? I think she needs your microphone, Dan. And then Jeremy's going to come and read the second account. If you've got a Bible, given that we're reading two whole chapters, you might like to turn to it uh, or find it um, on your tablet or whatever and follow on through. If you've not got that, just listen carefully as we read, as we hear both of these stories in their, in their entirety. I'm in the NLT, just in case that confuses anyone or makes it easier to follow. Um, right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters sea. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruits. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them mark off the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. An evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and oinks are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave name to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. As I've prepared for this morning, I felt at one point that I was trying to get a quart into a pint pot in covering all of this ground. And then then that feeling passed, and I thought, no, it's like trying to get a gallon into a pint pot to say something this morning. So there's no way that I'm going to cover all of the themes that come out from this. But I'm going to follow through on the themes that Dave pointed out to us last week, which do last throughout the scriptures. And the first thing to say really is just that, that God made a place. He made a physical space in which we would live. Now, ever since Darwin, halfway through the 19th century, of these two accounts, the let there be light account and the God planted a garden account, the emphasis, the focus of attention has been on the first one ever since Darwin. Now, as many of you will know, many Christians read Genesis 1 just as a, as a straightforward account the world made in six days. Uh, many other Christians read it differently as, uh, as an allegory. And some Christians have felt pushed to that by modern science. So if you're not a Christian this morning, and you found that this question of creation and evolution is an obstacle to faith, I want to say to you very clearly, it need not be an obstacle to faith. Um, I very deliberately got Emily and Jeremy to read the scriptures to us this morning as two people who have biology degrees. In fact, when I was studying biology, I also had a biology degree, uh, Jeremy was my first ever tutor. And uh, they, since finishing their degrees, have both found employment in helping people to understand uh, science and faith. And so if you have an interest in understanding how those things might work together, then do talk to them. That's why I got them to show their faces so that you could have those conversations. If you've looked into all of this before and you're pretty clear as to how you understand matters, I just want to encourage you to do one thing that you may not have done before, and that is to put these two accounts together and see what difference it might make when you see the two next to each other as they are placed in the book of Genesis. And you might notice a few things. These are a couple of the things that occur to me. In Genesis 1, you might have noticed that plants are made before people. Whereas in Genesis 2, Adam is formed before any of the plants. In Genesis 1, 
the people may eat all of the plants. In Genesis 2, there's one that's forbidden. In other words, these two accounts don't say quite the same thing. Now, some theologians have responded to that by saying these differences are there, they might say, because basically there are two different folk tales that came down through history and someone's done a fairly rough job of splicing them together and that's why we have what we do. I have to say that that won't do for those of us that know the Bible to be the word of God. It's not an accident of history. For my part... I believe that this is all the word of God to us. And that rather than trying to make it fit into our modern ways of thinking, what we need to do is to listen carefully to what it says. Which brings me back to the gallon and the pint pot. There's more that it says than I can possibly cover. But here's one thing that both accounts make abundantly clear, and that is that creation is good. We might sometimes be tempted to think that the natural world around us is chaotic or in some way against us. But here the scriptures tell us that creation is good. It's like a drumbeat that comes out in Genesis 1. Again and again and again, as creation takes place over these different days, and it was good, and it was good. Not only is the world good, God's place is good, it's clear that it is for us. Genesis 2 brings that out so clearly. God has made a world for us to live in. And so the the world out there is not uh, fundamentally a hostile place. God made it for us. And there's a contrast between what we find in Genesis and what we find in many many other cultures in the ancient world. Most cultures in the ancient world had this view, that the gods made people so that the people would work, make food, and then feed the gods. You think, well, how did they feed the gods? Well, they took the food to a temple and put it on an altar, and as it burnt and the smoke went up, they understood that they were feeding the gods. And if they did that enough, the gods would like them enough, they'd find favor in life. The purpose of humanity then was to be servants and slaves to needy gods. Not so here in Genesis. Here, God plants the garden. God makes the place fit for the people. God cares enough about people that he makes the whole world to be suitable for them. That is, for us. God made the world for us. It's not against us. And I don't know if this helps make it any clearer. It's for us. It's not just for all the animals and the fungi and the bacteria to live in. It's for us. You think, well, isn't that all a little bit, you know, big-headed of us as people to think, we're the pinnacle of creation. Well, we are. God made it all with us in mind. 
So we have, of all of the plants, the flowering plants and the conifers and the seaweeds and all of that, they're all good. The creepy crawly things, they're all good. Slithery things, good. You know, good. Uh, things that fly, good. Things that swim, good. Um, mold, good. Lots of, it's just good, 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 until you get to the creation of people. And then it's very good. We are a notch above. That's the way God, we are better than the whole of the rest of creation in God's sight. Isn't it amazing? Well, I don't know that I feel better than the whole of the rest of creation. Not until I've had some caffeine anyway. But it's true that we are the pinnacle of God's creation. God's people are very good. Whilst everybody else is, everything else is good, God's people are very good. People are important. And part of the reason that we're important is, God, as God's people, we have a purpose. To all these different people from different countries around the world, uh, people all over the world, in all of their diversity, actually, in God's sight, we have a common purpose. It's explained in Genesis chapter 1 very clearly in the command that God gives. Verse 28, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule. The purpose of humanity is to rule the earth. That's why God made one kind of living creature that is genuinely better than all the others, so that we could rule on his behalf the world that he has made. And this is pretty profound. It means for us as Christians that God is not just interested in church. He's not interested only in the the religious things that we do when we gather together. It's amazing to gather together. And as Eileen reminded us from Ephesians, as we're built together, we're a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. So it's really important that we get together. It's really important that we connect. And God does amazing things as we connect. But that's not all that God's interested in. He made us not just to connect with one another and to be spiritual. He made us for the world that he had made. He has chosen to fill the world with his glory, that every inch of everywhere would know what he's like, that every inch of creation would be throbbing with his glory, and he's going to do that through us because we are made in his image. We're like him. We are the glorious ones. Huh. When a person walks into a rainforest with all of its glory of amazing things that are there, the person turning up, made in the image of God, brings God's presence, brings his glory. Glory covers the little bit more <laughs> of the face of the earth than it did before. God wants people everywhere. You know, we, because of the way in which people have not done a great job of ruling the world. We've taken charge in a, in a rapacious, exploitative way and stuffed things up and ruined places that would have been better ruled in other ways. You know, we, 
now we've got this idea that actually, you know, the best thing for the world would be if we weren't here. You know, the, the, there are pristine places. There are wilderness places. They're just like God intended because no one's got there yet. Hello? It's not how it's meant to be. There's not meant to be wilderness devoid of people. It's meant to be people everywhere. It doesn't mean we go around chopping the rainforest down. Arrive, bring God's glory, give me a chainsaw. But let's understand who we are. Now, if it's true that we can walk into a wilderness or a rainforest and bring the glory of God, can that happen when we walk into our workplace tomorrow morning? Could that also be true there? Yes. It's what we're made for. Now, everyone around you at work, there might not be any other people that know the Lord Jesus in your workplace. You might be alone in having this perspective. It doesn't make it any less true. This is who we are. This is what God has made us to be. It's worth noting in passing that, that God's chosen method for filling the earth is through two sexes. There are creatures that reproduce asexually. Um, there's even a species of lizard that reproduces asexually. No males needed. Uh, God could quite easily have chosen that means. It made us more like those lizards or some kind of plant or whatever. He's quite able. Uh, he just chose not to. He, he chose to make us male and female. He chose through that sexuality made clear at the end of Genesis 2 in the one flesh that in the context of two becoming one in a union that is lifelong, that's where the filling of the earth comes from. That's what it says. And um, it does mean that in our rejoicing in the goodness of creation, we can rejoice in things like testosterone and ovulation. They're meant to be. It's not an accident or an inconvenience or a hassle or a thing that takes us off course. It's the way we were made for God's purpose. And all of that is very good. Now, next week, we get to the story where it starts to go wrong. And of course, for all of us, our experience of what it means to be male or female is complicated by uh, all kinds of different things. And we'll look next week a bit at some of the complexity that comes in. But Genesis 1 and 2 tell us where it started and God's original plan. We can rejoice in all that God's made us to be. I hope you're feeling just a bit more important than you did when you came in this morning. Because it's likely that every one of us have just lost sight of these truths a little bit. And I hope you feel it's good to be reminded of what God's made us to be. But having talked about the place and the purpose and the people, I think it would be good for us to... Well, I'm going to finish what I have to say this morning by bringing the focus down back to God himself. In those three phrases, God's place... God's people, God's purpose. It's possible that all of our attention would be on the place, people, purpose. And there's only, but there's one word that's been worth repeating in every phrase. It's God's place and God's 
purpose and God's people. We need to think about God himself. He's the one who turns up in the very first verse. Sorry, uh, God created verse 1. And then verse 2, it tells us what he's up to. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Gerard Manley Hopkins, a Jesuit poet, has God, uh, the Holy Spirit brooding. I like that. Not just hovering, kind of, what am I doing here? There, with intent, brooding. There's, God's there. For, he's present. The first fact of the Bible is that God is present in the world. Although, having said that, there is no word in the Hebrew language for presence. It's just not there. It's not there in Greek either. We talk about God being present. We talk about being in his presence. That word, it's just not there. Both Hebrew and Greek make use of a different word. They both make use of the word face. In the Old Testament, where it's sometimes translated, someone came into someone else's presence, what the Hebrew actually says is, they came to faces. Uh, one of the very first things that you did in your life was pay attention to faces. It's one of the first powers that babies get. They, they get to breathe and scream and excrete um, at really early on. But one of the things that they do really early on, is start to pay attention to faces, uh, particularly the faces that are frequently present, and their mother's face in particular. We're going to watch a video which just shows us a little bit about how significant the face is. In this still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I mean, like a girl. Oh. And she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. Yeah. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world, and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. Okay. I'm here. And what are you doing? Oh, yes. Oh, what a big girl. All right.
we've all lived that, haven't we? I mean, we can't remember our lives back that far. But one of the most fundamental experiences for all of us was that faces gazed upon, and an important face or two gazed upon us and interacted with us. The scriptures speak of a face shining upon us. Fundamental to who we are. In fact, in the early 20th century, there were, there were technological advances in the care of small babies in hospitals, uh, particularly the invention of incubators, which enabled children to be cared for, for babies to be cared for much better physically, and so they were well-fed and clean and safe and warm. But because of being in a box, they didn't so often get to see a face. And in busy hospitals, some babies, whilst being kept fed and clean and warm and safe, just about never saw a face. And psychologists began to study the impact of that. And what they discovered was that without a face with which to interact, things started to go horribly wrong. For some babies, after a few months, they, just, they became very weepy, unapproachable. If you went to them, they couldn't cope with it. Um, if babies were left that way for weeks on end, then they'd start to lose their ability to have or express any emotion. They would form a rigid expression. Nothing could change. Eventually, they'd become so lethargic that they were immobile because of the lack of interaction with a person. Everything's cared for physically. Um, in fact, in many cases, about just under 40% of cases, the babies died just for want of human contact. Think that there's something here for us because I wonder how many of us might relate to the desperate attempts to get God's attention and how many of us might feel that we're wasting away. Bodies cared for, clean enough, feel safe physically, but there's something missing. We don't know what it is, but we feel death. In Genesis 2, the moment of Adam's creation, now bear in mind that in Genesis 2, Adam is the whole of humanity. So this isn't just for the blokes, because at this point, Eve is described as still being in him. So this is the whole of humanity, the first moment, the first experience of life for any human being. It says that God, verse 7, God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And this is an intimate thing. There's a little picture here. 
the moment of creation of humanity is a moment that's face to face. Scripture says that God breathed into the man's nostrils. Adam, it would seem, opened his eyes, first moment of existence, and there was God breathing into his face. The very beginning of what it means to be human. We're made, we're made for this. If our place in creation and our purpose makes us feel important, it's nothing without this, without this intimate encounter with God. This is the fountain of it all. It's the beginning and it's what we're made for. In a moment, um, Pete and the band are going to come and sing a song to us, coming back to this truth of God's love for us. Um, As they come, if you guys could come, that would be great. I just want to read to you, read over you, a blessing. It's a blessing that's found in Numbers chapter 6. It is the blessing that was commanded to be prayed uh, by the priests of Israel. And I hope that having looked at this truth about God's presence being his face and just how important it is to us, it will sound a little bit different. I just want to finish then by praying this blessing and then it'll be okay to sing. The Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.